And happy Monday to you all. Thank you so much for turning into episode three of One Weird Writer Reads Twilight Fan Fiction, Master of the Universe Edition. This week, we're going to go ahead and switch it up with reading the recap first and then the chapter from Master of the Universe. It makes things a lot easier and it makes sense. So thank you again for tuning in and let's begin. Previously on Fifty Shades of Grey. Jeez. Anna tells Kate about the photo shoot she's arranged with Christian Dexter Arpats Grey III and Kate is psyched. She calls Anna out on the bullshit excuse she's been buying from Gray. I think that is one huge coincidence, Anna. You don't think he was there to see you? She speculates, and my heart lurches at the prospect that it's a short-lived joy. The dull, disappointing reality is that he was here on business. Murdering business. Hence the zip ties, rope, masking tape, and coveralls. And Anna is definitely not special enough to murder She's made that clear from the very first paragraph. Kate bickers with Anna over whether or not Christian Grey wants to bone her, and Kate sounds, for the most part, like she really wants to convince her of her self-worth and maybe see her get boned by said murderer. In fact, throughout the book so far, Kate has tried to get Anna to say that she thinks Christian Grey is a hottie, and Anna won't do it. Remember this, we're going to touch on this subject again, not because of any particularly clever plotting or anything, So just don't get too excited. Just keep it in mind. Kate is shocked that Christian gave Anna his cell phone number. And Anna says that he could have just given it to her to be nice. Because rich, famous people always give out their private cell numbers all willy-nilly. I think if Anna were a real person, every time she opened her mouth to speak, it would just make a sad trombone noise. You know, like, wah-wah. Every time. It's like you could show her a picture of herself next to pictures of elderly burn victims with facial cancer, and she'd still find a way to believe she was the ugliest. She probably read Mein Kampf and said, oh, what a nice guy compared to me. If any of this stuff had happened to any other woman on the planet, she would have gone, huh, maybe he does think I'm cute and be flattered by it. Okay, no. No matter how rich or hot this guy is, I think any female heart where store employee when faced by evidence that they're being stalked by the red dragon would get a restraining order and take some time off from work but in the world of 50 shades where that shit is apparently not creepy at all women would be able to take pleasure in the idea of a hot rich guy finding them attractive and move on it wouldn't have to mean anything and therein i think lies the second biggest fault in anna's character There is no gray area. That is not a pun. I will not sully puns by using them in this discussion. I love puns too much. Christian Gray can't be attracted to her because she's not exactly perfectly what she imagines a person like Christian Gray would want. She can't even give her friend Jose the courtesy of considering him as boyfriend material, not because he's not attractive, but because he's not a literary hero. Nothing is good enough for Anna. Therefore, Anna is not good enough for the world. Speaking of Jose, they need a photographer for this gig, and Kate suggests that since Jose will do anything for you, Anna should call him. Anna feels though Kate is irritatingly cavalier about Jose, and I'm not sure what Anna is irritated at, though. 
Is she irritated that Kate is cavalier about his participation, taking it as a given? Or is she cavalier about the fact that he likes Anna and that makes her uncomfortable? We don't know. And the reason we don't know is because if any of the other characters in the story were developed, it might take a little of the bloom off Anna's rose. Kate suggests that Anna call Gray because she has a relationship with him. Anna takes offense to that description and Kate hangs up on Anna, forever securing herself a place in my black, shriveled little heart. Anna is calling Jose when Paul, the old friend from the end of chapter two, enters the stockroom. He wants to take Anna out on a date and he's got a lot of questions about Christian Gray because the chemistry between Christian and Anna is like a boomerang. It's hitting everyone else but her including innocent bystanders. Anna thinks this. While Paul is cute in a wholesome all-American boy next door kind of way, but he's no literary hero, not by any stretch of the imagination. Is Gray, my subconscious asks me, her eyebrow figuratively raised. Yes, Anna, he is a literary hero. He's Edward Cullen. Granted, literary might be a stretch, but I'm not here to criticize Twilight. I am impressed, though, that you know that the subconscious can only figuratively raise its eyebrows, but the notion that conscious thought doesn't flow from the subconscious has somehow escaped you, Anna. Everything you pretend to believe about yourself is right. You're a horrible person. Joe Jose doesn't want to do the photo shoot because I do places, Anna, not people. Remember that lady that married the Berlin Wall? She and Jose should friend each other on Facebook. Kate gets on the phone and threatens Jose, saying that the newspaper won't cover his gallery opening if he doesn't do this favor for her. Anna sees this as awesomely tough. It's awesome when Kate openly bullies someone else into doing something for her, but when she asks Anna to do something and follows up by thanking her profusely, well, that bitch has crossed a line. Like a few moments later when Kate asks her to call Gray. Anna is super nervous to call Christian Gray. I feel like I should make fun of this scene somehow, but honestly, I'm at a loss as to where to start. It's like a buffet at a casino in Battle Creek. They have pizza, they have Chinese, they have seafood, they have prime rib, and there are too many choices. So many directions you could go in, and then suddenly you're sitting back at your table with a plate full of mashed potatoes and macaroni and cheese because everything got too overwhelming and sad for you. I scowl at her and reach into my back pocket for his business card. I take a deep, steadying breath, and with shaking fingers, I dial the number. Is anyone else imagining bomb-diffusing music and then a cut to commercial? At the very least, the tension here is on the same level as when Ryan Seacrest says, We'll find out who's going home after the break. He answers on the second ring. His tone is clipped, calm, and cold. Gray. Er, Mr. Gray, it's Anastasia Steele. I don't recognize my own voice. I'm nervous. There's a brief pause. Inside, I'm quaking. Er, Mr. Gray, I love it. Dude gave you his cell phone number. He answered by saying only his name. Who else would it be? They have a short conversation in which the details of the photo shoots are established and Anna has all sorts of reactions listening to him on the phone. If this was a commercial for Christian Grey, in the middle, an announcer with a deceptively soothing voice would say, ask your doctor if Christian Grey is right for you. 
Side effects include, but are not limited to, shaking fingers, inability to recognize your own voice, nervousness, quaking, hitching breath, flushing, sudden awareness of roommates watching you, hasty breath, being able to see facial expressions over the phone, and whatever the hell this is supposed to mean. I'm all gushy and breathy, like a child, not a grown woman. Just because there's election, and a pretty important one coming up, I'd like to remind you that while you might be able to vote and drink legally, doing them both at the same time is probably not a great plan. Also, if you're ever writing an erotic novel, you probably shouldn't use the words child and gushing in the same sentence. Kate is stunned by her friend's reaction to the short phone conversation. So stunned she has to use Anna's full, fully ridiculous name. Anastasia Rose Steele, you like him. I've never seen you or heard you so, so affected by anyone before. You're actually blushing. First of all, I'm only on chapter three, and I haven't been keeping a running total or anything, but I estimate that Anna has blushed about 157 times already. Everything seems to affect her. Her entire life from what we've seen thus far has been nothing but a series of various seemingly negative emotional highs. Kate lives with her and she's never noticed. Second, excuse me, but what the fuck do you think you're doing walking around with a name like that? Anastasia Rose Steele is not a heroine in a contemporary novel. Anastasia Rose Steele is the name of Jack and Rose's rebellious teenage daughter in a Twilight, excuse me, Titanic fanfic. Anastasia Rose Steele is the name of a literal rose that doesn't flourish well, even in ideal conditions. Anastasia Rose Steele wins the triple crown. There is no room in contemporary novels for a heroine named Anastasia Rose Steele. That night, Anna has difficulty sleeping, dreaming of smoky gray eyes, coveralls, long legs, long fingers, and dark dark, unexplored places. So, she's either dreaming about spurlunking or Billy Joel's Uptown Girl video. In my interpretation, the dark, dark, unexplored places are deep in the recesses of Billy Joel's head. That, the next morning, Anna and Jose and Travis, a friend from the res, I'm sure, are traveling to Portland in Anna's car. Kate drives separately because they can't all fit into Anna's quirky car. They're going to the Heathman in Portland to take pictures of Christian Grey. The rooms are elegant, understated, and opulently furnished. There's that logic disconnect in the prose again. How is something understated and opulent at the same time? Opulently suggests excessively. Understated suggests subtly. Anna, if I remind you, is an English major about to graduate. They set off for this shoot. Anna gets irritated at Kate, but she's in a constant state of irritation with her. You probably already anticipated that. And Christian Grey arrives to the strains of Anna's strongest profanity. Holy crap! He's wearing a white shirt open at the collar and gray flannel pants that hang from his hips. His unruly hair is damp from a shower. My mouth goes dry looking at him. He's so freaking hot. Grey is accompanied by a bodyguard type of guy, and Anna marvels at the way Kate can remain calm under Gray's onslaught of hotness. It is at this point I would like to remind you that this is a Twilight fanfic, so in, 
for all intents and purposes, this is the gentleman that makes Anna positively squirt upon catching a glimpse of him. Introductions are made. This is Jose Rodriguez, our photographer. I say, grinning at Jose, who smiles back with affection. His eyes cool when he looks from me to Gray. Fire and ice, y'all. I think Jose dislikes this Christian Gray guy. He better keep the hunting party off the res. They take his picture for a while in various poses, and Anna, from what I can gather, stands there and stares dopey-eyed at him the entire time. Twice our eyes lock, and I have to tear myself away from the cloudy haze. Does he have cataracts? Doesn't seem like it, but, you know, okay. Gray asks Anna to walk with him. To where? Just around the hotel? Does he need to get ice? It doesn't matter to Jose, who's not pleased to see Anna leave with a young tycoon. Gray invites Anna to coffee. Considering she thinks shaking his hand is like having a current arcing through her and just talking to him on the phone makes her gush, I'm surprised she doesn't faint in the hallway. I wondered if you would join me for coffee this morning. My heart slams into my mouth. A date? Christian Gray is asking me on a date? He's asking you if you want to go to coffee. Maybe he thinks you haven't woken up yet, my subconscious whines at me in a sneering mood again. Whining and sneering. Okay. I love that he's sending out every signal on the face of the earth and she is still so beaten down and victimized by herself. Remember that she refused to, to receive any of them. I'm going to lay money down right now that he's going to be inside her and she's going to be thinking he couldn't possibly want to have sex with me because the story is flimsy and it needs to be padded out. There is discussion regarding how everyone in the equipment is going to get home if Anna doesn't take them. Thank God for Taylor, the bodyguard, who has a 4x4. He can take everyone home in. This is going to be my biggest nitpick in this entire book. No, it's really not. But what does a four-wheel drive have to do with the number of people that can be carried in a car? 4x4 isn't a type of car. It is a class of drivetrain. I'm going to go ahead and imagine that Anna dumps her friends for coffee and they are all going to have to squeeze into a truck. Also, Anna, you don't have to drive every everyone home. Just Travis and Jose. Kate drove her seemingly suspiciously like Carlisle's and Mercedes CLK, which should have rear seats. Taylor doesn't have to drive anyone home. The entire exchange about who was going to drive who where reads like listening to my husband and my mother-in-law trying to coordinate transportation arrangements while I stand by repeating the best solution over and over, only to be ultimately ignored in favor of whatever jackassery the two of them dream up. Once Gray commands his manservant to drive the group home, he's easily manipulated the situation by virtue of his money and status so that Anna cannot continue to refuse his offer of coffee. Man, this guy's a charmer. Nothing is sexier than a man who wants to isolate you from your main group and is aggressive in his approach when doing so. They work it out so Anna will swap vehicles with Kate. Remember at the beginning of the chapter when Kate is particularly demanding that Anna have a crush on Gray? Well, then this happens. Anna, there's something about him. Her tone is full of warning. He's gorgeous, I agree, but I think he's dangerous, especially to someone like you. I think Kate saw his receipt from the hardware store. 
Jose glares completely un-Jacob-like while Kate scolds Anna for wanting to go to coffee, but she relents and Bella and Edward go for coffee. I make my way down the corridor, my knees shaking, my stomach full of butterflies and my heart in my mouth, thumping a dramatic, uneven beat. I'm going to have coffee, have coffee with Christian Grey, and I hate coffee. Of course you hate coffee. Anna, you hate everything because you're horrible. Gray holds her hand as they walk to the coffee place, and it is revealed that Anna's never held hands with anybody, ever. She is 21, and she's never held hands with anyone? We are privy to the many mundane steps involved in going to get coffee with someone, including such classics as walking four blocks, waiting for a light to change, explaining that you don't care for coffee because you prefer tea. How you... Take tea, waiting for someone who is waiting in line. It's like no one ever told E.L. James that as an author, you can handily skip over those bits by compressing them into a single line. I understand that she's trying to spin out the tension here, even waiting for Gray to return to the table. She's looking at him, admiring the way those pants hang from his hips. And really, where else do pants hang from? Does everyone in Portland wear their pants around their knees or up around their nipples? This is the second time Anna has noticed how awesome it is that Gray's pants go around his hips, and Day dreams about her running her fingers through his hair. But at this point, while all the fleshing, looking beneath her lashes, and where else are you going to look from above your lashes, beside your lashes, biting her lip and generally going all weak and gushy when he's around, we get the point. We understand that she finds him sexy. What I, as a reader, do not understand is how I'm approximately 40 pages into what is supposed to be this life-changing, erotic work of fiction that's revitalizing sexless marriages, and nothing, absolutely nothing sexual has happened yet. Anna flushes way too much. I'm going to throw this out there right now. At the end of one paragraph, her face flames. There is a line of dialogue, and then the beginning of the next paragraph, she goes crimson. I get the distinct impression that she's a Humboldt squid in a dress, flashing red like a broken neon sign. Anna doesn't know what to talk about because she's so lowly and beneath Gray in her own estimation. I like my tea black and weak, I mutter as an explanation. I see, is he your boyfriend? Whoa, what? Okay, well first, let's just say that I like my tea black and weak. Okay, so you mean you like it gray. Irritating. But thank you, Anna, for coming along with my confusion. You know, who is, who, her boyfriend? The tea? The weak black guy? Neither. See, he asks Anna what she's thinking about, and at the moment, the very instant she answers, he changes the subject to ask if Jose is her boyfriend. Then he asks about Paul from the hardware store. Is he Anna's boyfriend? He only asks because Anna seems nervous around men. That is the creepiest, most date-rapey line I have ever read in a romance novel. And I have read some pretty questionable old-school rape mances in my time, but he gets so much better. You should find me intimidating, he nods. You're very honest. Please don't look down. I like to see your face. I can see why most of the women in America are falling for this guy. Who doesn't want a dude who doesn't want you to be at ease so he can manipulate you easily? And who treats you like an object that should be displayed for his enjoyment at all time? 
Greg describes Anna as self-contained, much in the way that an environmental disaster might be described as self-contained, I guess. Except for when you blush, of course, which is often. I just wish you, I knew what you were blushing about. He pops a small piece of muffin into his mouth and starts to chew it slowly, not taking his eyes off me. As if on cue, I blush. Crap! From here on out, I'm going to imagine that every time Anna says crap, she's referring to the quality of the writing. Christian explains that he doesn't want her to call him by his first name because he only allows certain people in his life to do that, and apparently Anna hasn't earned that right. But Anna has a very low opinion of herself, so she just sort of accepts accepts it and refocuses on her anger at Kate, of course, lamenting internally about how beautiful her friend is and how she should be the one having coffee with Christian. Anna doesn't realize that a guy like Christian isn't going to be interested in a woman who can't be controlled through her, her low self-esteem. Because this, that, because this book is what it is, Christian decides to interview Anna as she interviewed him. The problem is with this section is that we, it doesn't reveal anything new to the reader. We already know about Anna's parents, but at least we learn a little bit more about the enigmatic Mr. Gray. I would be more interested in him if he wasn't such a first-class twat. So I'll admit, I mostly skimmed the bits about what his parents do for a living and how many siblings he has. I was surprised that they don't all live together in a big steel and glass and white sandstone and steel and glass and steel house somewhere. As they leave, Anna feels like she has totally blown it with Christian. She thinks he wants some worldly, self-possessed woman and she feels like she's not good enough. Little does she know that her feelings of being not good enough are exactly what Christian Gray finds attractive. He offers to walk her back to the hotel, and on the way, something that happens that in no way resembles anything like what happens between Bella and Edward in a parking lot of Forks High School. No, not at all. Shit! Anna, Gray cries. He tugs the hand he's holding so I hard so hard that I fall back against him, just as a cyclist whips past me, narrowly missing me, heading the wrong way up the one-way street. It happens so fast. One minute I'm falling, the next I'm in his arms, and he's holding me tightly against his chest. I inhale his clean, vital scent. He smells of fresh laundered linen and some expensive body wash. Oh my, it's intoxicating. I inhale deeply. See, it's not a car. See, if Anna were about to be hit by a car, it would be suspect. But this is a cyclist, and while in twilight, Edward saving Bella from being crushed. And that was this week's chapter of I Read Fifty Shades of Grey, so you don't have to, um, by Jenny Trout at JennyTrout.com. Now we're going to go ahead and move over to Master of the Universe, chapter four, and we're going to see how Edward is in at Newton's. This should be interesting. Miss Swan, what a pleasant surprise. He stares at me, his gaze unwavering and intense. Holy crow, what the hell is he doing here? Looking all tousled hair and outdoorsy in a gray, chunky knit sweater, tight jeans and walking boots. I think my mouth has popped open and I'm having difficulty locating my brain and my voice, which have disengaged from the rest of my body. Mr. Cullen, I whisper, because that's all I can manage. There's a ghost of a smile on his face and his eyes are alight with humor, as if he's enjoying some private joke. I was in the area, he says quietly by way of explanation. I'm hiking and I need a few things. 
It's a pleasure to see you again, Miss Swan. His voice is warm and husky like dark melted chocolate fudge caramel or something. I shake my head slightly. My heart is pounding into a frantic tattoo, and for some reason I'm blushing furiously under his steady scrutiny. I am so thrown by seeing him standing in before me, my memory of him does not do him justice. He's not just good-looking, he's the epitome of male beauty. Dazzling. And he's here, here at Newton's camping paradise. Go figure. Finally, my cognitive function is restored and reconnect with the rest of my body. Bella, my name is Bella, I mutter quietly. How can I help you, Mr. Cullen? He smiles, and again, it's like he's privy to some secret. It's so disconcerting, I take a deep breath and put on my professional, I've worked in this camping shop for years, facade, I can do this. Well, a map of the local area for starters, he murmurs. Okay, I know where those are. I try for nonchalance as I move to the counter, but really, I'm concentrating so hard on not falling over my feet, my legs, the consistency of jello. I'm aware I'm wearing my best jeans, and I'm inappropriately pleased that I decided to wear them this morning. The maps are over here. Follow me, I say too brightly. Lead the way, he murmurs, gesturing with his long-fingered, beautifully manicured hand. With my heart practically strangling me because it's in my throat trying to escape from my mouth, I head down one of the aisles to the map section. Why is he here at Newton's? And a very tiny, underused part of my brain comes the thought, he's here to see you. No way, I dismiss it immediately. Why would a beautiful, powerful, urbane man want to see me? The idea is utterly preposterous, and I kick it out of my head. Whereabouts were you thinking of hiking? My voice is slightly too high, like I've got my finger trapped in a door or something. Just somewhere picturesque and quiet in the surrounding neighborhood. He waves his hand around vaguely. I was visiting the university farming division. I am funding some research in their crop rotation and soil science. See, he's not here to see you at all. That mean part of my brain, loud and proud in the frontal lobe, sneers at me. I flush again at my foolishness. Is this all part of your feed the world plan? Something like that, he acknowledges, and uh, his lips quirk up into a half smile. Well, these maps in this section here are the local area. I point out to our map display. Part of me can't help feeling that he should have some sort of fancy GPS tracking device this trail is quite touristy, I offer by way of warning. Hmm, I'd like something more private, he says, and he's gazing at me, green eyes, concentrating hard. I flush. Why the hell does he have this effect on me? I feel like a 14-year-old gauche, always out of place. Here, this trail is more secluded. It's north of the Williamette, but it's in the forest park. I hand him another map, scrambling around for my equilibrium. Our fingers touch very briefly, and the current in there sparking through me. I gasp involuntarily as I feel it all the way to somewhere dark and unexplored deep in my belly. Have you been, he asks. I shake my head because I can't talk again. I'm on shifting tectonic plates. Try to be cool, Bella, my tortured subconscious begs. I think we both 
know that walking is not my thing, Mr. Cullen. I cannot look him in the eye. He's just too glorious to behold. What is your thing, Isabella? He asked softly. The secret smile is back. Books. I squeeze out, squeeze the word out, and inside that strange place in my medulla obliganda is firing synaptic impulses at me, screaming, You, you are my thing. I slap it down instantaneously, mortified that my psyche is having ideas above its station. What kind of books? He cocks his head to the side. Why is he so interested? Oh, you know, the usual, the classics, mainly British literature. And he rubs his chin with his long index finger and his thumb as he contemplates my answer. Or he's just very bored and trying to hide it. Is there anything else you need? I have to get off the subject. His hands on his face are so beguiling. Well, I don't know. What would you recommend? Pants, I reply. And I don't know why I am no longer screening what's coming out of my mouth. He raises an eyebrow at me, amused again. Denim is no good for hiking, I hastily explain. If your jeans get wet, they're heavy. Don't dry and they chafe and you'll lose body heat. As soon as I say the word body, I can feel the color in my cheeks rising again. Well, I wouldn't want any chafing, he murmurs dryly. I'd better get some pants. What would you recommend? Er, you want something lightweight and breathable. Okay, lead the way, Miss Swan. Oh no, I hadn't bargained for this. The clothing section is this way. I practically whimper. What follows has to be the most uncomfortable experience in my camping sales career. An adir of my time at Newton's. I have captured a Greek god in our changing room and I'm handing him lightweight walking trousers. How did this happen? By the time he's chosen a pair that are navy blue, how do I look in them? I'll wear them now, Miss Swan. I am the color of the communist manifesto. Do you need anything else, I squeak? He ignores my question. How's the article coming on? He asked me a normal question, away from all the innuendo and confusing double talk and the changing of the pants, a question I can answer. I grasp it with two hands tightly like a life raft going for honesty. I'm not writing it. Rosalie, Miss Hale, my roommate, she's the writer, and she's very happy with it. She's the editor of the magazine, and of course she was devastated that she couldn't do the interview in person. I feel like I've come up for air, a normal conversation. Her only concern is that she doesn't have any original photographs of you. He raises an eyebrow at me. What sort of photographs does she want? Okay, I hadn't factored in this response. I shake my head because I don't know. Well, I intend to be in the area tomorrow. Perhaps he trails off. You'd be willing to attend a photo shoot? My, fo my voice is squeaky again. Rose will be in seventh heaven, and if I can pull this off, and you might get to see him again tomorrow. The dark place at the base of my brain whispers seductively at me. I dismiss the thought, oh, of all the silly ridiculous. I think Rose would be delighted if I can find a photographer. I'm so pleased that I unconsciously smile at him broadly. His lips part slightly, like he's taking a sharp breath and he blinks at me, looking lost for a fraction of a second. And the earth shifts slightly on its axis, the tectonic plate sliding into new position. Oh my, Edward Cullen's lost look. Let me know if you need me tomorrow. He reaches in his back pocket and pulls out his wallet. Here's my card. It has my cell phone number on it. 
You'll need to call before 10 in the morning. Okay. I grin up at him. Rose is going to be so thrilled. Bella. Mike Newton is appeared out of the other end of the aisle. He's the Newton's son, home from Princeton. It's such a surprise to see him. Er, excuse me for a moment, Mr. Cullen. He frowns as I turn away from him. Mike has been a good buddy, someone I see intermittently when he's home from college, and a strange, and in this strange moment that I'm having with the rich, powerful, awesomely off-the-scale, attractive, control-freak Cullen, it's great to see someone who's normal. He hugs me hard, surprisingly hard. Bella, hi, it's so good to see you, he says enthusiastically. Hello, Mike, how are you? Are you home for your mom's birthday? Yep, you're looking well, Bells, really well. He frowns slightly, examining me. He releases me, but keeps a possessive arm draped over my shoulder, and I shuffle, embarrassed from foot to foot. Mike has always been over-familiar, but it's good to see him. I glance up at Edward Cullen, and he's watching us like a hook. Hawk. His green eyes hooded, speculative. His mouth is in a hard, impassive line. He's changed from the weirdly attentive customer to someone else, someone cold and distant. Mike, I'm with a customer, someone you should meet, I say and try to diffuse the antagonistic look in Cullen's eyes. I drag Mike over to meet him. Can I introduce you to Edward Cullen? Mike and Edward eye each other, and the atmosphere is suddenly arctic. Er... Mike, this is Edward Cullen. Mr. Cullen, this is Mike Newton. His parents own the place. And for some irrational reason, I feel like I have to explain more. I've known Mike ever since I began working here, though we don't see each other often. Mike is back from Princeton where he's studying business administration. I'm babbling. Stop now. Mr. Newton, Edward holds out his hand, his look unreadable. Cullen, Mike returns his handshake. Wait up, not the Edward Cullen of Cullen Holdings. Mike goes from surly to awe in less than a nanosecond. Edward smiles politely at him, but his smile does not reach his eyes. Wow, is there anything I can get you? Isabella has it covered, Mr. Newton. She's been very attentive. His expression is impassive, cool, but his words, it's like he's saying something else. It's baffling. Cool, Mike responds. Catch you later, Bells. Okay, Mike. I watch him leave for the stock room. Is there anything else you need, Mr. Cullen? No, just the map and the pants. I take a deep breath and head for the till. I'm aware that I have managed to stay upright for the entire time. Mentally, I award myself with a pat on the back. Nearly there, I ring up the map and the trousers. That will be $53, please. I glance up at him and wish I hadn't. He's watching me so closely. Green eyes, intense, blazing. It's unnerving. Would you like a bag for your jeans and the map, I ask, as I take his credit card? No, thanks, Isabella. His tongue caresses my name, and once again, my heart is frantic, and I can hardly breathe. So you'll call me if you want to do the photo shoot? I nod, because I have been rendered speechless again. I give him back his card. Good. Until tomorrow, maybe, Miss Swan. Oh, and Isabella, I'm glad Miss Hale couldn't do the interview. He turns and strides purposefully out of the shop, his jeans slung over his shoulder, leaving me a quivering mass of raging female hormones. It takes several minutes and staring at the closed door through which he's just left for me to return to planet Earth. Okay, I like him. There, I've admitted it to myself. I cannot hide my feelings from anyone anymore. This 
was what was so confusing, what I didn't understand because I've never felt like this before. I find him attractive, very attractive. It's a lost cause, I know, and I sigh a bittersweet with bittersweet regret. But I can admire him from afar, surely. No harm will come of that. And if I can find a photographer, I can do some serious um, admiring tomorrow. I bite my lip in anticipation and find myself grinning like a schoolgirl. Now I need to, to phone Rose and find a photographer. Hmm. And that is it for me for the day. I hope you enjoyed this and I hope I am getting better at this. Um, thank you all for tuning in. Again, JennyTrout.com is where you can find the recaps for all of the books. And she does a lot of other books. I really appreciate it and um, have a good rest of your week. Cheers.